I'm Chad Main, the founder of legal services company Percipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology and innovation in the legal industry. On today's show, we're talking to Joshua Schwadron. He's the founder and CEO of Mighty and Mighty Law, a law firm and a related company that are working to disrupt the practice of personal injury law and put more money in their clients' pockets. In 2006, Joshua Schwadron received his law degree, but he decided not to practice law. In fact, he was pretty sure from the get-go he would not have a traditional legal career. So instead of the law, he went into business, and in 2010, he found a better fly. That's somewhat of a competitor to Thumbtack, which is a marketplace where consumers can go to find people to help with remodeling projects at their house, take care of their yard, or even help with wedding plans. A few years after it was founded, Betterfly was acquired by a company that ultimately would end up being bought by Microsoft. So after that, Joshua finds himself with time to move on to his next venture, and that one would be legal-related. He launched a litigation finance company and worked on that for a few years until 2015 when he launched Mighty. At first, Mighty also had a litigation funding component, and it tried to pair plaintiffs with the best funding deals possible by having the funders compete against each other for the case. Gaining traction with that model turned out to be a little harder than Joshua expected, so Mighty started to build tech to help plaintiffs' lawyers track liens against settlements and verdicts in their cases that were held by medical providers and other attorneys who oftentimes were the ones that referred the attorneys to the cases in the first place. As you'll hear from Joshua, Mighty's a purpose-driven company, and their main goal is to make the practice of personal injury law more efficient so plaintiffs can take home better settlements. But what Joshua figured out is that even though with Mighty's help, plaintiff's lawyers were becoming more efficient and they were reducing costs, but those savings were not being passed along to their clients. That's when he decided to found Mighty Law, a law firm that would work in tandem with Mighty, the company, to put the most money in plaintiff's pockets. To do this, Mighty Law has a code of conduct that their lawyers follow. It requires them to take lower fees than most of their plaintiff's lawyers. They will also take a lower fee if a client comes to them with an existing offer from an insurance company and they can't better it. And also, among other things, they want to make sure that clients have real-time information at all times and transparency into their cases. There's a bunch of other things in the code of conduct, but you get the idea. But before there was Mighty, there was Betterfly. So I was the founder of Betterfly, which I sold about a decade ago to a company that ended up selling to Microsoft. And the hypothesis around Betterfly was that individual service providers no longer need to work for a large brand, that they, through social media, can brand and market themselves, and that people would end up hiring tutors and coaches and hairstylists individually rather than going to supercuts or going to larger companies. And so what we were trying to do was disintermediate service businesses in order to connect the end consumer and the person actually providing the service directly. How are you trying to do that? So we created one of the first marketplaces for individual service providers to brand and market themselves. So at that time, uh, if you worked at Supercuts, let's say, you had no profile of your own. You had no reviews of your own. You had no presence in your own. You only were under the Supercuts Yelp profile. And the problem for service providers is that their reputation, they couldn't take with them from job to job. And the problem for consumers is that you don't hire supercuts to cut your hair. You hire the person that supercuts assigns you. And so it'd be really hard for you to identify the actual person that you're going to work with. And so this company brought 
a marketplace together uh, to connect those people and allow service providers to have their own brand and consumers to find the specific person they'd be working with. And so you, you exit, your company ultimately gets acquired by Microsoft. Then you go to law school, right? So I went to law school first, okay. but I was always somebody who was very business oriented, always thought from first principles and really liked to understand why rules existed and why the world uh, acted and the markets acted the way that they have. So believe it or not, a lot of my law school training and the theory behind it has contributed to you know all of my kind of startup endeavors. So you went to law school before you started Betterfly. But so then why did you not just go into law? I mean, ultimately, we know you do. Why did you go into business instead? So I've always seen law as a foundational building block to understand market dynamics and opportunities. I think people who practice law are trying to take a system as it exists and figure out how to act accordingly. I've always been interested in something slightly different, which is understanding how and why a system exists and trying to break it. And so I've used kind of that law school background and education a bit differently than, than I think most of my classmates have. So as we alluded to, you ultimately do go into law, but it's, it's litigation funding. So you still got this business angle. What was it about litigation funding that attracted you and still interests you? It's funny. When I was in law school, I, I always knew I, I wouldn't really practice law. And I bragged in some ways about you know, leaving the law behind. Uh, but litigation finance actually was this like perfect marriage between a lot of my interests, but also my background in law. And the idea that lawsuits are assets and they can be financed, they can be underwritten, they can be uh, secured and securitized, it really interested me because I actually saw finance and still do as frankly, a more efficient way to bring cases to justice. And so I started a litigation finance company. It was kind of barely called litigation finance there. It was before Burford went public. Right. It was kind of relatively early days. And I really uh, loved the idea that lawsuits can be valued and assigned and the kind of finance system can actually bring certain efficiencies to bear that uh, legal cases that stay in the hands of just the person who got injured aren't able to. And so 2015, you start Mighty. But as I understand it, Mighty did have kind of a litigation funding angle too. In 2015, when you started the company, what was the original concept for Mighty? So consumers after an accident are one-time players who lack resources, lack political connections, lack wherewithal. And what ends up happening to them in the personal injury system is they get re-victimized all over again. And there are so many ways that they get victimized. But one of the most acute is it takes often years for someone injured to get money from a settlement. And that's fundamentally unjust. Right? There's that famous Supreme Court quote, justice delayed is justice denied. Because people are out of work, they have medical injuries, and their family can't pay rent, they can't buy food because they're out of work because of their injuries, and they need help now. And one of the things I saw firsthand was that people would settle for pennies in the dollar with insurance companies, despite them having great cases, because they couldn't wait for a fair settlement. 
And one of the things I came to appreciate was that settling your case, a different way of phrasing that is you're selling 100% of your case to the insurance company. Hmm. And I became really fascinated with the idea that instead of selling 100% of your case to the insurance company for a lowball settlement offer, it would actually be wise to sell, call it 10% of your case to one of hundreds of competing finance companies who can give you enough liquidity in order to pay those necessary bills so that you can actually wait to sell the other 90% uh, until you're ready. And I thought that that was a really powerful way to give consumers justice. Now, the way I talk about it is very different than the way most people talk about it, because most people talk about it in terms of usurious loans by predatory lenders. And I frankly reject that whole characterization. I definitely think the interest rates are incredibly high. I definitely think that there are uh, challenges with litigation finance. But Mighty, it was a Dutch auction. I mean, you were coming at it from a different angle, not just throwing money to the attorney to prosecute the case. Yeah. So, so our first conception of it was exactly that. It was, we actually pitted litigation funders against each other to bid on who can offer consumers a lower price. And we thought that that was a really great way of starting to make the litigation finance system more just. Now, when you say lower price, was it like straight interest rate? We will finance this case at X. They'll finance it at Y. So we're going to go with X. Exactly. And what we found was it just didn't work. We failed. There was a number of challenges in the market that made that idea not viable. How so? There's so many ways and reasons. But I think, unfortunately, one of the biggest is we found that consumers really didn't care about the interest rate that they were paying. What they cared about much more was getting more money. So we would, for example, give somebody an offer for $5,000 and a litigation funder would say, we're going to charge this person 35% yearly rate of return. And we would say, okay, that's too high. Let's find somebody who can do 30%. And we'd say to them, hey, can you wait a few more days? We're going to try and find you somebody who can do 30%. And they would say, no, we just want to take the 35% right right now. And then when we finally found somebody for 30%, that person might only be willing to to give them $4,500. And they were like, no, we'd rather $5,000 from the higher interest rate than $4,500. So we actually had a problem where our our customer, in this case, the, the, the consumer, didn't value the primary value prop that our service was aimed at achieving. So then you pivot. And you move into a tech player. And if I understand correctly, it was to help facilitate payments of liens after cases resolved. Yeah. So we became really frustrated and we were like, consumers don't understand. So what we should do instead is we should empower the lawyers, the medical providers, and the financiers who are operating the personal injury system. They already have tens of billions of dollars of customers and of cases. They have established businesses. And if we can use technology and automation to make them more efficient, they will surely pass that on to consumers. And so over the course of a number of years, we built really powerful technology automation software for kind of the existing personal injury ecosystem. And that business has gone well, except our mission hasn't been achieved, which is to actually help make the market more efficient for consumers. We were hoping that our 
products uh, would save enough money for the service providers that they would pass some of those savings through uh, kind of the, the way that free markets should work to the end consumer. But what we found instead was they frankly just made more money. Let's talk about what were the tools? What were the automations? Because generally, correct me if I'm wrong, in a personal injury lawsuit, if you get medical services, they get a lien on on the proceeds from the resolution. If you switch attorneys, the attorney might throw a lien on that. What was your tool doing to help facilitate those payments and satisfaction? So in personal injury before Mighty, medical providers, law firms, and funders all had their own systems that were single player systems. They were internal tools that made their teams more efficient. So for example, law firms had case management systems uh, for them to operate their firm more successfully. But one of the issues in personal injury, which you've just identified, is that lawyers have liens on other lawyers' cases. Medical providers have liens on lawyers' cases. Financiers have liens on lawyers' cases. And there needs to be a constant flow of information back and forth between all of the providers and people helping the consumer in order to keep all of the records straight about who owns what. And that was happening largely through email. So there's millions of cases in the United States every year. Each case has an average of six lien holders Mm. on each case, people who own an interest in the case. So there were over 10 million interests in liens that were being kept track of, negotiated, uh, and otherwise updated through email communication, through telephone. And so what Mighty did was we built a single source of truth, uh, essentially a universal portal that connected all of the people who had an interest in the case together and provided them a singular place to get updates, to share information in order to eliminate emails and other communications between them and make a lot of it automated. So one example that I think was really uh, powerful or is really powerful is a law firm can update their case management system just like they normally do. And by using Mighty, we would automatically update all of the lien holders on the case that the status of that case has changed so that those lien holders didn't have to then call or email in much the same way that if somebody takes a restaurant reservation at a restaurant, Open Table will immediately update and show that that availability is no longer bookable. So you're doing this for a while. Your customer base was obviously plaintiff's attorneys. You launched Mighty Law earlier in 2022. So I'm assuming you were thinking about launching the firm in 2021, maybe even earlier. How did you start thinking about doing the law firm play with tech versus just the tech company servicing the people you're now competing with? So we had really amazing adoption of our software, over 5,000 law firms actively using it, over a million cases. We estimated that we saved roughly $100 million in 12 months to law firms alone in cost savings, efficiency. And our team and our mission is very important. And we look to see whether our technology and innovations actually benefited the end consumer through price reduction, through increased services. And we got really frustrated when we found that they hadn't, that frankly, law firms would just make more money by leveraging software like Mighty's. How are they making more money? And then how can they lower the, I guess the the pass-through is they're paying less in costs, right? Is that how you're saying that the consumer should benefit from this? If there's less overhead? In any normal industry, 
innovation leads to lower costs. Lower cost leads to more profit making. More profit making leads to more competitors entering the market and offering lower costs and the market equilibrium changing as innovation spurs efficiencies. And so in personal injury, there has been so much innovation. Mighty is one example, but I mean, the case management universe, Filevine, Lidify, um, and other case management systems have made law firms incredibly more efficient, saving them time, salaries, making cases, uh, filing demands faster. And all of that has made operating a personal injury firm less expensive. So, and I think, well, ultimately Mighty does. I mean, it's one of the Mighty's features is what you're saying is and what you put into practice is the cost savings should be passed through to the, the plaintiff uh, by a lower fee, a lower contingency fee. Is that what you're saying? Without a doubt. The innovation should benefit the end consumer as much or more than it benefits the actual service provider. And in personal injury, the market's broken and the people who are... Lawyers uh, haven't changed their price in decades. They still charge you know, 33% to sign on the dotted line. They charge 40%. If the case goes to trial, they offer the exact same service level, which is you know, barely anything. There's the same level of transparency. Nothing has really changed in personal injury in decades, despite everything changing in personal injury. When we come back, Joshua tells us about the founding of Mighty Law and how he hopes his code of conduct disrupts personal injury law. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal. We need to do more with less. That is the key takeaway nowadays from almost every survey of in-house counsel. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if you actually could do more for less? By combining legal expertise and technology, Percipient enables legal teams to get more work done for less. Buried in contracts and sales is frustrated with turnaround time? We can help with that. Did you just get hit with a subpoena and reviewing 100,000 documents and files will tax your resources or cost you a small fortune in billable hours? We can help there too. Our team of legal professionals leverage tech and project management principles with the right amount of human oversight to deliver precise, efficient, and cost-effective legal solutions. Whether it's legal operations and contract management support, subpoena compliance, or document review, Percipient is your partner in really doing more for less. Percipient, legal services powered by technology. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Joshua Schwadron. He's the founder and CEO of Mighty Law. He's just about to tell us about the founding of his law firm. You're running this tech company, Mighty, and a lot of 5,000 different law firms using it. What's that moment? When do you finally say, we need to actually employ this tech in our own law firm? So there was actually a very specific moment, which I write about, which is we had the opportunity to launch a product that helped law firms more efficiently get medical records. And it would save the law firms tons of money. And we were really excited about it. We also estimated that we would uh, generate a $10 million plus of revenue in two years just by launching it. We had a bunch of early customers who uh, wanted to use it. But we found out that by doing it, the law firm would end up passing the cost on to the consumer as a case expense, as opposed to if the law firm did it themselves like they were doing today, 
they would internalize the costs and not be able to pass it on to the consumer. So it's kind of a, a quirk in the legal ethics and rules and regulations is that if you incur an expense, you can pass it on. If you have the expense through your staff, you can't. And we were deeply uncomfortable with the idea that we would be able to save law firms money, but that in addition to saving the money, they would still pass on right. the cost to their consumers. And again, as a mission-driven company, we refused to do that. I think it was at that point where we said, we have a choice to make. We can either pass the costs on to the consumer, which we don't want to do, or we could stand up a competitor to these law firms and try and offer a higher quality service at a lower cost than anything that exists today. When was that? That was in 2021. Okay, so then fast forward 2022, you launched the firm, but there's a firm and also you still have Mighty, the company. Explain the interplay between those two. Mighty Law is an independently owned and operated law firm that is owned by its lawyers, and there's no common ownership between Mighty, the tech and service company that I'm the CEO of, and, and it. But Mighty Law, importantly, its lawyers agree to a code of conduct that's unlike anything that exists in personal injury today that, for example, says that it won't pass on costs like that, that says that it will charge a lower fee than industry standard. The fee is, what, 30 30% on the low end and it, what's 38, 30, 37, 38 and a half? Yeah, so, so it's at least 10% lower. In some cases, it's even lower. For example, Mighty Law lawyers agree that if the case value goes up, the contingency fee percentage goes down because we find that the amount of work associated with a case is kind of a diminishing. And so therefore, the, the fee should also be diminishing. How do you quantify that? The settlement offer goes up or when it's all said and done, you or on the front end, are you figuring out what it's worth or guessing what it's worth? Yeah. So, so for example, it's a tiered structure. So if a case settles for over a million, instead of being charged 30%, the consumers charge a lower amount. So it's kind of like your taxes that instead of an increasing uh, scale, as you make more money for consumers, it's a decreasing scale if you work with money law. And also as part of that code of conduct I saw, and we kind of already touched on it, that a lot of times the minute you talk to a lawyer and you engage them, but you go to somebody else, they throw a lien on that and they get a piece of any kind of resolution. But you've got a policy there at Mighty that if the client leaves in 60 days, no harm, no foul, right? Well, not only that. So if the client leaves within 60 days, no harm, no foul, they don't owe us anything. And that is in order to ensure that the Mighty Law lawyers aren't over-promising in order just to get the client to sign the dotted line. With any other personal injury law firm, the minute the client signs the dotted line, they've given away 33% of their case to a lawyer. And therefore, the lawyer often over-promises in the intake process. So we make sure that the client gets plenty of time to actually try the service to get free legal work before having to kind of commit. But you actually mentioned something different, which is another practice that happens in PI a lot is a lawyer is essentially not a law firm. They're a referral firm. Right. And all they do is they advertise that they are a law firm and then they refer it out to, to whoever and they get a third of the entire lawyer's fee. So one of the things that Mighty Law does in its code of conduct is if we refer a case to a law firm, we will give that consumer... 10% of the total legal fee that they pay through kind of a refund or a rebate at the end of their case, because Mighty Law doesn't deserve the entire referral fee just by you know, referring it out to somebody else. What about the reverse? Does Mighty Law also accept referrals from other attorneys? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Mighty Law absolutely accepts referrals. We get a lot of referrals, especially from lawyers that know the person personally because they care deeply about that person getting the best service. Everyone who refers a case, uh, if they're a lawyer, uh, they become co-counsel. We actually pay an even higher referral fee than industry standard because uh, we value referrals so much. And still the consumer pays at least 10% less than the industry standard rate. Because your fee is lower to begin with. Because our fee is lower to begin with. Another exactly. thing I saw too, which is really interesting is, and this happens a lot, the plaintiff comes to you guys, they've got an offer from the, from the insurance company, 10 grand, 20 grand, whatever it is, you stay away from that. How does that work? So what we see a lot in traditional personal injury is lawyers over-promising their clients. And this happens a lot when somebody comes in, they say, hey, I have a $20,000 offer from an insurance company. And the lawyer says, oh, 20,000, your case is worth so much more right. than that. And they get 21,000. They sign with the firm. They settle for exactly what you said, 21,000. They have to give the first 7,000 to their lawyer. And they're like, well, now I'm only getting 14,000. I was getting 20,000 when I signed up for you. And the only reason I did it was because you told me that the 20,000 was a joke. So the client is actually worse off by hiring the law firm. So in the Mighty Law Code of Conduct, as you mentioned, a client will never be worse off by working with Mighty. So in, in that instance, if Mighty Law was only able to get them 21,000, Mighty would never take a lawyer's fee of more than 1,000 to ensure that the client still gets that 20,000 that they would have gotten had they not hired Mighty Law. So the client can only be better off, not worse off. And then another interesting thing you guys are doing that others don't is you will help facilitate loans from friends and family to help the plaintiff during the pendency of the case to cover expenses. Where'd that idea come from? That idea came from me being kind of <laughs> on an island a little bit by myself in really understanding and valuing the power of money and cash up front to help somebody who just went through a horrific accident to move forward with their lives and be able to pay for basic expenses. Because right, maybe they can't work, maybe, right? They're injured, they can't work. People who can't work, exactly. And the only way for people to get financing today is through these loan companies that often charge you know, high interest rates. Now, I'm on record as saying that oftentimes those high interest rates are still a very good deal for the consumer because the alternative is much worse, settling for pennies in the dollar with an insurance company right. or being evicted from your house. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to figure out yet another way to help people. And the idea that we came up with was actually uh, facilitating uh, friends and family loans for those people who are able to get loans, where we would actually do all the paperwork and attach a lien on the case itself so that your friend and family was paid directly from the case so they didn't have to worry about chasing you down for the money. And so we're super excited about that. And uh, it's something that, again, shows how our way of thinking is just so different than the old school personal injury law firm that hasn't changed or evolved in, in forever. Now, you're still a tech company. And I saw, I think it was on your website, I saw you say, we will make sure the status of our client's cases are always completely transparent that all aspects of a client's case and representation are accessible to them through our team and technology. What kind of tech are you using to facilitate that? Yeah, so we have a custom software that is a client portal. Uh, clients log in, they can see their status, they can see uh, other information about their case, they can text their case manager, and there's a button where they can call their case manager. 
you know, one of the things that I think we get an unfair reputation for is while we are very tech forward, we also understand how important the human component is. And humans need other humans in their time of need. And so we have, you know, amazing case managers standing by to talk to their clients, uh, to help them in any way. But there's also easy ways to be able to just view statuses by logging in. You know, there was people who were logging in on Thanksgiving Eve, just trying to see like, what's the status of my case? And being able to show them those statuses is really important and powerful. You started in just two or three states. How many states are you in now and what are they? I think we're in eight or nine and, you know, we're, we are looking to be in all 50. So we're trying to create a national brand and we want our reach to be as wide as possible. How do you get there? How do you get to all 50? What's the plan? So finding great lawyers who want to partner with us, we've been able to work now with close to a dozen lawyers who share our vision, agree to the mighty law code of conduct. And we started this conversation a little bit about like why people go to law school and how I chose my path. So many people go to law school because they want to help people. And personal injury is actually one of the few industries where you get to actually help people, but it's so shady and so badly thought of. And so many people will ne- won't even consider going into it because of the reputation and stigma associated with it. And so Mighty is actually trying to create a brand and a company that people who graduate law school, people who are lawyers and want to actually help people will be proud to be a part of and help people because we think that that's a really important thing to get right in order for personal injury to fulfill its promise. So it's personal injury now as the focus. In the future, the roadmap, do you see other types of plaintiff's type of work that Mighty might get into? Yeah, we are focused on personal injury, personal injury, and personal injury. It's such a big market. Uh, The problems run so deep that we are just all in on it and nothing else. I don't see us moving to anything else but it. Joshua, thanks for your time. If people want to get a hold of Mighty Law, they got a case, or maybe there's an attorney who wants to reach out to you to find out more about what you're doing, where do you send them? We have the best domain name, mighty.com. We paid a lot of money for it a long time ago. And uh, we'd love to partner with attorneys, whether it's uh, getting referrals, sending referrals, having people apply to become a Mighty Law lawyer, or if they have a loved one that is injured, you know, they can count on Mighty Law to take care of them better than anybody. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.